Hello and welcome to the Bondry Visited Podcast with me, Joe. No, oh, guess it's just me today. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list of the Bond franchise. You're listening to episode seven, where we'll be revisiting the film Diamonds Are Forever. So yes, two years after George Lazenby left, guess who returns? It's Sean Connery, back again, 1971. We're ready to go to Las Vegas itself for some proper Camp Bond action. Honestly, this is, I mean, we've been saying it before, previous podcasts, this is one of my favourites. It's its so bad, it's good sort of deal. And Wait, wait, say, wait. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, hey. I'm here. Oh, hi, Tom. Hello. Hi. Oh, I'm glad you could make it. I, I don't know what happened. Uh, the last thing I remember is last night I, I put some sort of disc into the PS5. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Blu-ray disc, and I hit play, and everything out is just I've blacked out. I don't remember the last 24 hours since then. Are you okay? Well, I was found wrapped like not wearing anything in the street, just grabbing people, being like, "Are you Blofeld? Are you Blofeld?" <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I all I can remember is like an elephant winning the jackpot, but that doesn't make any sense, right? That. I don't think I did any drugs or any oh, eugenics, but I don't. What happened? Oh, this has known to happen to some people. It's I think just it's like the... a ninety percent rate. Yeah, that this can happen. It, it just it just happens with this film, uh, and you just have to accept it and and let it let it wash over you. <sighs> yeah. So I did it. I watched the film. Yeah, and you loved uh, it. And it's a complete 180, guys. This is going to be great. It's going to be such a positive, nice day. I mean, I did say in the intro that this is one of my favourites. Maybe not one of my favourites. That might be a bit much. Yeah, okay. So I've had plenty of time to complain about this film. I mean, I guess I'll quickly recap. I hate this film. I ranked it as my last one. I think it's awful across the board. There you go. You're up to speed. But we've never actually... I don't know what you thought about this film before the rewatch. So... I definitely was in the in the glass half full <laughs> camp uh, mm. for this film. I think I accept its flaws, but I think it's a very fun film, and so that's why I was very much looking forward to this rewatch because I was I was hoping that that was going to maintain uh, as my opinion, and I didn't suddenly realize oh this film actually sucks. What was I thinking? And uh, I mean we're going to discuss it obviously, but I I think I'm very pleased to say I think I still like it quite a lot. Okay, that's good. Oh, yes. How about you? Well, I try to say, you know, I think when I spoke about this in episode zero, a big part of the me not liking this film is the fact that it was the sequel to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And it was also, you know, the end of the Spectre storyline and Sean Connery's last film. And the fact that they took this approach is what made me so upset and disappointed and hated it so much. But we did say last week that Honor Majesty's Secret Service is much stronger when you take it out of the Bond canon and just take it as its own thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I wanted to try and approach it with that mindset of don't think of it as a follow up to that film. Don't think of it as what it means for the rest of the franchise and, you know, how this is probably the, the beginning of a new era. Like technically, I guess most people would say this is the last Sean Connery film. So this is the end of the era. No, 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 no. This is the start of Camp Bond. 
and this was just the the prelude to the Roger Moore era. Uh, but I just wanted to try and take it out of that context and just judge it on its own merits and what it does well and just have a little bit of fun. And? and uh, no, no fun was had. <laughs> oh, no. I was I was not happy about it. This was the first one where like halfway through I stopped it and went and had some food. <laughs> oh, no. And then came back to watch the rest and I was so mad. I was oh. so mad. I hate it. Right. Well, okay. I mean, you're right. This this is the start of Camp Bond. And we're going to be in this era for, for quite a while. So, you know, <laughs> it doesn't bode well for you. We're going to be in here for at least another, like, what, 12 years? Uh, no, more than that, actually. 15 years. So, yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry to hear that. Well, I'll just let the police know that you might see some more blackouts happen. If they, if they see me naked in the street screaming again, they'll be like, ah. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Octopussy. Must have been. Oh, there's Tom again. Must have been uh, getting ready for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's he talking about? Midgets and what? <laughs> Who's Knickknack? <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. He just can't help himself. Right. Shall we get started then? I feel like you probably want to rip this off like a plaster and just get it done with. Yeah, let's not be here for three and a half hours if we can help it. No, we're going to get here for five. <laughs> <laughs> detailed analysis of of every bond of every blowfeld uh yeah no it's great let's um let's start so obviously we start with the the gun barrel sequence anything you noticed you're usually the one to notice all the gun barrel stuff and anything i did i'm glad you are so they took out the producer names of this one okay so as i pointed out last time the the circles came across and then came back and we got uh harry salzman and uh broccoli man <laughs> mr broccoli mr broccoli um but this time they took it out and they went back to how it originally was which was just the circles go across and then he comes back out and this time it was in black and white for some mm. reason yeah Don't know I, I feel like there's been another one that's been in black and white but i couldn't tell you which one well it so it's the same one from was it thunder yeah it's thunderball where they re filmed it with actually Sean Connery. So it's quite old by that standard, if you think of it. But I'm pretty sure, yeah, it wasn't in black and white then, was it? So why would they have done that now? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, he's got the hat back, so that's a thumbs up from me. So it is a solid start for this film. Uh, I think this is where it really peaks for me. Uh, Great (laughs) circles, great walk, great shot. Oh, I I thought you were going to say the credits is where it peaks for you. Never mind. (laughs) One thing I noticed about the gun barrel, and I was this pleased me straight away because I was just like, oh, this is such a good sign that it's going to be just very extra, this film, and just very uh, in your face with things. Did you notice how the gun barrel has a sort of sparkliness to it? It had like a rainbow oh. shimmer around the inside. No, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, as as it moves and you get the... I mean, I think it actually looks quite good. But for of its time, it sort of almost had a bit of a actual 3d effect of the light going across it but it was all sparkly you know like diamonds refracting i thought it was a nice little touch oh yeah i mean there's definitely a very strong theme with those diamonds like visually so that would make sense they would start with that straight away yeah so the 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 circles go straight into this very quick sequence or very um very cutty i mean it cuts a lot this one so the general idea is that we're seeing someone attacking people and asking, where's Blofeld? Where is Blofeld? Now, I say someone 
because it's very obviously James Bond and Sean Connery speaking, but they do try to hide him and what he looks like. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I think they're just building back up to here's Sean Connery back. Here we go. Let's get that shot of look. It's good old Sean. He's back. Um, but we get a Japanese house somewhere in Japan and him fighting someone. And then we get Cairo. Basically, these people, he's like, where's Blofeld? And they tell him to go to a certain location. So it's Japan. And then it's Cairo, where a man is playing cards. And we we get the first joke of the film, I guess, because he says, hit me, because he's playing cards and gambling. So Bond hits him in the face. Wow, inspired. It was, yeah, it was great stuff. <laughs> um, up all night on that one. Uh, and then this eventually cuts to uh, a sexy young lady there in a bikini and we finally get the reveal of of sean connery as bond again and he says my name is bond james bond and so generally in this film it did not bother me that sean connery was older and i was expecting worse but i feel like the worst he looks in the entire film might be this opening scene (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, I didn't notice that. But he, he, you're right. He doesn't look good in, in some places, to be fair. And he was only, I mean, it's only uh, four years after You Only Live Twice. I don't know what happened in those four years, but <laughs> it did not do him well. Yeah, what was it? It was 1962 for Dr. No, and then 1971 for this film. Yeah. So, like, nine years difference. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, again... Again, I think it's the grey hair that did it. And not that dyeing the hair would have particularly looked better, but they straight away be like, you can just see it. It's right there. And they zoom in on his face. They don't kind of shy away from it at all. It's like, look at Sean Connery's face. It's like, I don't really want to. Thank you. That's It is kind of I'm weird fine. how they, they did do that. You're right. They did that sort of building up of revealing Sean's back. You know, just how they did with George Lazenby before. Uh, not as good, obviously. But... um it is just yeah it's weird how they do that for a couple scenes very quick scenes and then he's just there like there's nothing dramatic about when we actually do see him it's just him walking i felt like they were setting up to have this really cool reveal and it's just him walking down some steps towards the lady it was a bit of a letdown a bit anticlimactic and also you say that yeah he, he says you know my name is bond james bond it's something that's always bugged me about this scene is that it just sounds weird I don't know what happened to the recording of his voice then. I mean, it's obviously dubbed, I imagine, or like ADR'd. But uh, it sound, he sounds higher pitched. He sounds a bit chipmunkish or some uh, something like that. I, it's really weird. Yeah, I found that throughout this entire sequence that the dubbing was for some reason just kind of bad. It just didn't sound right. I didn't notice it being high pitched, but maybe that was it. I couldn't pinpoint it. But yeah, for some reason... I mean, it's Bond, so we're going to get bad dubbing. But yeah, mm. Sean Connery having bad dubbing to start the film. You're just like, that's a. There was no need for that. No, no. Yeah, so the, the guy in Cairo says to go find a woman called Marie. Uh, and that is the lady there who immediately. I mean, it's, it's kind of record timing to get something on the screen that makes you go, oh. But then immediately Bond starts strangling her with her own bra like bikini bra and it's like wow this did not take long to get into this sort of this sort of level of like eesh let's just move on quickly so i'm not going to say that this film's amazing <laughs> in all parts because it definitely isn't uh, and i think the start is definitely one of its weakest points i think they were trying to be like 
yeah, Sean's back and look, it's Bond being Bond because he says the line, there's something I like to get off your chest and then steals the bra off her, but then like chokes her with it. Yeah. And there's there's so many things wrong with that. And I don't get how this was the first thing you have him do. Him going all over the world and beating guys up, trying to track down Blofeld, fair enough. And I did quite like the mystique that came with hiding his face. Like this is supposed to be Bond angry on a revenge tour just kind of being a just blood hungry i guess trying to get blowfeld so i like that aspect and that's probably what they were trying to do here like oh the old bond would have just slept with her and then got the info but instead he just takes the bra off and chokes her um but i don't think it it doesn't play like that and especially with sean connery now looking so old not that a young man is allowed to strangle a woman with her bra but this like old man doing it makes it like adds another level of just like this is just a little bit a little bit uncomfortable yeah yeah i think you're right it it makes sense what you're saying about having the tougher revenge angle because this is really the only part of the film that that tries to address that uh badly but it's almost like sean connery didn't get the memo and he's still kind of being a bit suave and well until we undresses her and strangles there but you know it just doesn't work it doesn't work with the way he's showing it no again i like the tough bond but this was this was not the way to do it but eventually maria says where blofeld is which i can't tell you where that is but again the film moves like a mile a minute in this opening scene mm. and we cut to blofeld in this is it meant to be like another volcano lair it's like another one of those almost like dr no style lair where it's all just very rocky as part of like it's one of them yeah i i don't know it, it looks weird so i guess it kind of <laughs> fits fits the bill for this film just mud everywhere and i think it is yeah because it's meant to be some sort of plastic surgery clinic room but it, it's got rocks and big mud pools and i don't quite know how that would work yeah i think it's yeah it's like a secret surgery place um and then we have blofeld being like hey i want surgery and this surgery needs to be done tonight which initially i was like oh that's really cool so they're going to explain why blofeld in the last film now looks different because he's had plastic surgery to try and hide himself that's really cool but as far as i can tell nope that's not what he meant Mm, it meant that there was someone in a mud bath and he wants that he's cloning himself basically or getting other people to become him and he wants that extra version of him done tonight um and no it's nothing to do with the actor being changed as far as i can tell it would make a lot of sense to do that but no (laughs) i mean i understand why he would want clone uh, like doubles of himself because maybe he's foreseeing bond coming after him or you know i'm sure a person in that field probably makes a lot of enemies so it's good to have clones effectively uh but it it was a bit of like an elephant in the room like well they're talking about plastic surgery and there's a different guy playing blofeld so why isn't that the link i'll never know yeah it it was right there yeah it's almost like they deliberately said no that's not what this film's about so we're just gonna ignore it and hope everyone else does yeah which i did to be to be honest with you because i i think uh the guy who did who, who plays Blofeld in this film, who we've seen before in You Only Live Twice. He was Dicko Henderson. Uh, Charles Gray is the actor's name. I, I think he's great as far as Blofeld goes. I think he's, a, he's actually quite a good Blofeld. 
as we'll see later on. Um, but you're right at, the, at this beginning stage where you don't know that you just you just think, well, why does this guy look different, and why is he why is he talking about getting uh, people made of him, like like doubles of him? What's going on? Yeah, it's all very bizarre. But at this point, Blofeld then walks away, and but that we see a dead guard outside to basically tell us all Bond is here. And then I kind of missed this because this whole opening sequence was so tough because I I wanted to do my notes, but everything was moving so quick. It was like impossible to take the time to get everything down. Yeah. And that's not a compliment, by the way. But uh, so, yeah, then we see, I think, a guard or maybe a scientist or something, I'm not sure, then takes off their face mark and it's Bond and Bond is there. Um, and he sees that there's someone in a, a mud bath, so he starts kind of looking around, and from this big mud bath where someone is submerged, there's a little gun just <laughs> points out of the mud. And I think Bond spots this or uses his Bond sense to detect that. I don't think they actually give you... He either sees it or they just don't give you an explanation to it, because I'm sure he's looking the other way when that gun points out. It's his, it's his Sean senses tingling. Ah, yes, of course. I forgot. Yeah. Very wise in his old age. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So then we get this really awkward little role from Bond where he just like goes right up to the mud thing. But he just like... Oh. <laughs> just I just don't get it. I mean, the guy's covered in mud, so he can't move very quickly. So <laughs> for that reason, he doesn't shoot Bond when you think he should. Yeah, the gun's pointing at Bond, but Bond just like, ah... Well, it doesn't even say that. He just walks forward a bit and just rolls, which again, this is an older Sean Connery. So seeing him roll is like, that's that doesn't work or that doesn't flow very well. <laughs> um, just to get up close to then pull this lever uh, and then this lever drops a load more mud and the man's like, ah, no, more mud. And eventually there's so much mud that the guy drowns. Again, I don't know how that works. Wasn't he already submerged in the mud? Why would more mud kill him? I well, I think it was super hot mud as well. Not the super hot mud. <laughs> it was steaming, so I have to. I have to presume it was very hot mud. Okay, but he Bond then pulls him out later to confirm, or very shortly to confirm who it was, and there's no burn marks on him. That's true. That's true. Maybe the only the big mud thing that Blofeld eventually goes into is superheated. <laughs> How yeah. does this clinic work, I wonder? <laughs> I think someone's just made this all up. I don't give, think this happened. Give me the blueprints right now. Oh, so, yeah, so Bond then... I think Bond believes it's Blofeld in there or wants to check if it's Blofeld. So he pulls him out, washes the face, be like, it's not Blofeld. And then Blofeld does show up. And with two guards. And something I noticed at this point, and I'm going a little bit off here, that... Bond dresses quite differently in this film and it starts with this opening sequence where he's in like a, a black suit, but almost like a, a, a more casual, smart casual kind of black suit. It's not like a tux, it's not like a spy suit or anything like that. It's just like a black jacket with like a black jumper or something underneath and like black trousers. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe this is because on A Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby had a different dress style and was very much trying to be stylish. But for some reason, they changed up his wardrobe. Sean Connery doesn't dress like he did in the other films. Do you think it's also just because, you know, it's the 70s and, and the styles are changing and maybe like a looser fit suit and flares and all that sort of stuff maybe affected it? 
Potentially, yeah. I mean, we do get some more classic Bond kind of suits and things like that. And uh, I think some quite iconic suits come from this film, to be honest. But I kind of noticed outside of those, yeah, he just dresses differently, which you're probably right. It's probably them just trying to keep up with the times. But Or maybe it's just the black is a, a slimming shade. and uh, <laughs> He needs it. He needs it, yeah. I mean, we don't see any blue shorts in this film. <laughs> I mean, he's not... Let's just make it clear. Like, He's not terrible. I mean, he's like... No. He's older. But it's, I think it's just because of the gap in time and then the fact you had George Lazenby, yeah, George Lazenby in between, who you pointed out yourself is you know much more lean and, and slender. And so then you go back to Sean, who's this hairy, slightly flabbier man. It's like, oh, <laughs> what's going on now? <laughs> yeah, they really paid, uh, they really got their money's worth per pound on this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so basically the guards then come up and Blofeld's like, go get his gun. And I think Bond goes to get it himself, but then they're like, no, 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 you go get it. And the man goes to get his gun in Bond's jacket pocket. And I think it's a cigarette case that he touches. Oh, and it clamps on his hand. Yeah, I think it was meant to be a fake cigarette case because, yeah, it goes in and it's a finger trap. And he's like, ah, and there's like blood on his hand because apparently Bond gave him the old finger cigarette case trap thing that's a cute classic yeah and then this goes into a fight with the other guard where bond just throws surgical knives at them just goes <laughs> over to the little trolley and just starts tossing knives at them and it kills one of them yeah okay. i mean there, there was like three in him <laughs> that's i mean it would die. definitely take you down <laughs> he's in the right place for that i guess yeah but yeah and then oh so Bond then catches up to Blofeld and, and knocks him out and just puts him on the trolley where I guess he threw all the knives from and then just pushes the trolley into some molten steaming mud and then Blofeld goes into the mud. Yeah, yeah. He, Bond's he... like, welcome to hell, Blofeld. <laughs> I don't really understand go. that. <laughs> well, he... Yeah, I, don't, I guess hell probably is going to be muddy i don't know uh hot, yeah, hot anyway because he, he he ups the the temperature on the control and then yeah any slides blofeld dealt with revenge sorted done easy end of film like, uh, like I, I don't even know where to begin with this like so again i did say i was trying to approach this film as its own thing but I have to say for this scene, which is so deliberately meant to be a follow-up to the last film, it's just terrible. Just really terrible. Like, the idea of the eventual Bond going all over the world, that's a decent idea, but the... It's just... It, it's just so... It just doesn't... It just doesn't pull that off. I don't get vengeful Bond and him just on a rampage. I just get silliness. And, you know, it sets up the tone for the rest of the film pretty well and if they went for a more daniel craig grounded kind of grittiness it probably wouldn't have worked but this also kind of didn't work and i i guess i appreciate them putting in this type of scene in the opening sequence to try and tie it over because if they didn't do anything you'd be like well what happened from the last film why are we in this place but yeah what they did they just they just it just didn't work at all like you could probably just hear it in my voice as I described it. It's just nonsense. And I, I couldn't 
enjoy it because it was supposed to be the follow-up to the last film yeah i yeah i'm gonna i'll hold my hands up and say that this is the this is bad this 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 intro pre-title sequence is bad it's almost they were stuck between a rock and a hard place because it's either they included this as a bit of continuity but having to do it with a new actor and a new bond uh sorry and a new blowfeld which sucks because you don't have as much of the emotional baggage associated to it or you they didn't they don't address it at all and i, I feel like that probably would have been the smarter option is just not to carry on um but then you would have had people I mean, it's given how the last film ended you probably would have had people complain about that too so i don't think there was any winning in this situation because they're they're kind of hands had been tied into this you know having to have sean connery back um and and then not really being in a suitable place to have that dramatic revengeful bond which would have worked we discussed like it would have worked really well if george lazenby had continued and and tracy's death had been now instead and then the rest of the film was was this revenge plot that would have been amazing but we you know that's just not how it turned out so i think the reason why I like a lot of this film is is because it's just that from this point on, that is it with the whole Bond being married and, and Tracy being shot. Like that is just dropped immediately after this point. So therefore I can then appreciate the rest of the film and all of its campiness and, and weirdness from that point out individually. So I'm, I'm kind of pleased that this is it and it doesn't try and prolong it, but I'd rather it probably not have been in here at all. That, that probably would have been the way to go, as you say. Like, this is based on the book, although I think this is quite different from the book. I don't know if this, if it's fair to say this is the one that's changed the most from the book since, or, you know, up to this film. Hmm. I'm not sure, actually. I've never read the book, but I would have to presume, yeah, a lot of changes must have been made, given what they've done to Blofeld. Yeah, and uh, I I want to say Blofeld was not part of this story in the book oh okay oh interesting i might have to look that up but i thought what was the specter trilogy it was it wasn't, uh, wasn't this was it no it was only it was um uh, Th- uh thunderball on a master secret service you only live twice yeah so again maybe that's not true but I, I feel like they probably did make a lot of changes here with this opening sequence but even then i don't know if it would have been better to not do this but still have Blofeld come back later and then address the Tracy stuff. Mm. Like maybe that would have been smarter to just have it be a big unknown throughout the film and then have him come back. Like I don't know if that would have worked. And, and again, with the way this film and its tone, it probably wouldn't have worked. But I would have quite liked to have seen that, where this was actually Bond completely failing. And then he ends up, you know, going and doing the diamond stuff he's still 007 he doesn't have to be super depressed i feel like if this was a daniel craig film that's how they would have handled it right they would have had him just lose in the opening only for him to blow to then just kind of come back and do it that way yeah uh, but you know again this is this late 60s early 70s this is old man sean connery that's not what we got so there we go so yeah then we get on to the title sequence which uh visually I I don't know how I felt about this one. So visually, it uh, it kind of 
goes back to what we'd seen before, before on a Majesty's Secret Service, which, as we discussed, had the sort of slideshow effect of showing all the old characters from the previous films. This one was just a lot more traditional, uh, you know, silhouettes, um, sparkly things, women. Uh, and it was it was fine. Like, it, it definitely played on the diamond stuff and having sparkly diamonds. I liked how it included Blofeld's cat with the sparkly <laughs> collar in some bits. I just think that's kind of a nice link into the the the... Uh, title sequence following what happened so that was all that was all good i mean song wise i think it's shirley bassey once again you mentioned how this is guy Guy hamilton uh directing this and probably should say that i think the reason for that is that after the mess of george lazenby dropping out and i don't know i don't i think can't remember the kind of reaction of at the time like reading about what the reaction of on her majesty's secret service was at the time but they were probably worried about carrying on and, and keeping a, a strong franchise. So that's why they kind of tail between their legs, went back to Sean and offered him loads of money to come back. I and do in- know that box office wise on a Majesty Secret Service adjusted for inflation is one of the worst performing. Oh, and well, there you go. Like Diamonds Are Forever did improve and do do a lot better than the last film. So yeah, again, it's like, I think License to Kill might be the worst one overall, uh, which makes sense because that, triggered a semi-reboot but yeah i think there was a noticeable dip in people going to see that film right so yeah they obviously saw that and thought you know crap we need (laughs) we need we need to get this back on track so bring back sean bring back basically all the elements of goldfinger which was a very popular film uh so they get back guy hamilton they get back shirley bassey uh who's singing diamonds are forever this time and i definitely like this song more as far as shirley bassey goes i think I remember saying that I don't I don't think Goldfinger is really a song that I would listen to out of choice, just you know, on a on a playlist. I would probably skip past it. But I think Diamonds Are Forever is a little I don't know, it's more listenable to me and I think it's more of an interesting song. So yeah, and I, I think eventually with, with Moonraker they I like that one even more. So they, they got better and better with Shirley Bassey. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Shirley Bassey is the only artist to ever do more than one, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, you know, if you disclude uh, John Barry and the work he did and uh, and all that. Um, but yeah, I think she's the only one to come back, which makes sense. I think if you were to pick anyone to come back, Shirley Bassey would be the one to do it. And going into this, I there was a part of me that kind of wanted to dislike this song. Uh, I've definitely heard it before, so I didn't think, oh, I hate this song or anything. But uh, from what you're describing about Goldfinger, I do have a general problem with this film and i think a lot of the problems of this film comes from hey let's try and do another goldfinger because goldfinger was such an outlier for those first like if you look at those first six films goldfinger is the odd one out even though on imagine secret service has a entirely different bond i would say goldfinger is the weird one and a lot of that stuff got put into this one so i kind of just don't like that on principle but then the song starts and she starts singing you know, like damn it's a good song you yeah <laughs> you win this round shirley um, <laughs> i don't know if i would say i like it more than goldfinger but it's it's like it, it doesn't really matter does it they're, they're both great and it's quite interesting with this song because when i was younger i did associate it more with like the kanye west version when he sampled it um that's probably quite bad but like i just heard that version a lot more when i was a kid so i kind of i knew it was from james bond but i heard that one a lot more so nowadays i don't really listen to kind of your boy easy i'm afraid um but i definitely for a good while there thought of that version rather than than this one so it is nice to go back and, and hear it and 
yeah, some of these visuals as well. It's not amazing, and but there is some shots I do like. Like there's a scene where there's um, two women silhouetted by the light of diamond, like a big diamond's in the background, and that shines a light, and that is what kind of causes the silhouette on two of these women. I was like, that's really cool. That's awesome. Unfortunately, most of this doesn't really do that, and it's just kind of a a black background and just women diamond and a cat. Um, but I, I there was like uh, there was definitely better than the last one, and there was kind of instances of very cool ideas. It's just most of it is quite basic and to the point, somewhat like the last one. Yeah, I think with diamonds, it's it's kind of it's always going to look fairly interesting. You know, just stick a diamond in and a light, and then get some cool sparkles and, and reflections, and then that's it, job done. I think that's what I sort of come away from with this. It's all it's all fine. The sequence i'm gonna sound really old now though because <laughs> i'm gonna sound so out of touch i don't know what uh uh kanye west song you're talking about like the one <laughs> oh what one, what one samples diamonds are forever like he just uses that diamonds are forever line oh and that's like part of a chorus or something i think it's just called diamonds i want to say oh fair enough yeah. but you know I, I do like it I, I think towards the end of the song where it starts to get a bit you get that sort of disco-y bit to it in the background and it gets a little bit funkier i like that so um yeah i'd, I'd say a, a solid solid but not overwhelming title sequence it was just it was just good yeah it's just weird because you would expect this one to kind of go back to that trajectory that they had before where we were talking about how each one leading up to you only live twice they really were building on something and getting more impressive which one you personally like is kind of up to personal taste uh, to a certain point, but they were clearly developing them. And then on Majesty's Secret Service just completely kind of went backwards on that. And this one's kind of stepping forward again, but it, it kind of feels like the damage has already been done. Like they kind of cheaped out and had a really basic one in the last film. So this one continues on that and it's still kind of basic because of it. So it's, you know, it's a great song, but the sequence is just kind of forgettable. Yeah. So after the title sequence, we get straight into the film. We get uh, Bond and M in the London offices off to go see someone called Donald McDonald, some some old man, some old mustached man. I did not pick on that name at all. Like the Diamond <laughs> Man is what I refer to him as. The Diamond Man, yeah, because M basically tells Bond, you know, right, you've you've dealt with Blofeld now, so back onto a regular old mission. Come on, um, so they go see this guy. Uh, and it ends up eventually being about uh, smuggling. Although I did write down about Bond. They, they've had this in the past about, I think it was in, I think it was in Goldfinger actually, where they had uh, Bond and M go see the the man at the big, the big table in that, in that film. And, and there was an element of Bond kind of showing up M with his knowledge. And it comes back again in this film with Bond showing off about Sherry and, and, and I just like I love the eye rolls of M, and like he's just so sick of Bond. <laughs> you can yeah, tell he's just really... <laughs> not not even a little bit amused by it. Not even like ah oh, Bond, like oh it's not like oh you. It's like oh you. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. He is legitimately annoyed. <laughs> so <laughs> couldn't tell you what the whole thing was about. Vintage years for Sherry, but whatever. Um, yeah, they're there to go see this man who uh, tells them about diamond smuggling in South Africa. So apparently there's. <clears throat> Lots of diamonds going missing. Some are in the chain. Um, and they need to put a stop to it because it's going to eventually... Well, they think that there may be 
hoarding the diamonds to to affect the prices and the market and all sorts of mumbo jumbo like that. But eventually, uh, the man starts telling all this, and it kind of cuts to the action as it's going on. <clears throat> so you see, uh, all like the the miners in in South Africa mining out the diamonds and hiding them in their shoes and hiding them in their teeth and and showing this smuggling chain going on. So then they would go to see uh, the dentist and the dentist would, would pull out the the diamonds in their mouths. And it's it's kind of a bit of a, I don't know, it was a bit of a strange way. I wasn't expecting this sort of editing for this film where it's quite, um, I mean, it's, it's nothing crazy, but it's actually quite interesting how it's doing it with the guys comment, like kind of narrating all this stuff whilst we're seeing it in action yeah i didn't dislike it but yeah we we haven't had anything like this before where it's it's an expert explaining something so they just put the relevant footage as he's talking and he's talking over the top of it it might have been something that might have been better for some of these films and it does actually really set it quite well you i didn't i can tell you the details of all of this stuff but and i didn't really pick up on why bond was getting involved it just sounded like, oh, there's a problem. We've got to go get them. You know, it's the smuggling, but I didn't really get the details. But you get enough of it because you're just visually seeing, here are some diamond miners stealing diamonds. And then this dentist is part of it. And as you say, it goes through the whole step. So, yeah, it, it was something different. And it's quite interesting because later on we see a little bit and it then cuts back to them talking again in the office. So it's yeah. it's a very different feel. Like, again, this was Guy Hamilton, but there was nothing like this in Goldfinger and... uh yeah, it's a nice way of doing it and trying to save you from some Bond spy mumbo jumbo and just getting to the point. Exactly. It, it was either a big a big wall of exposition that we get, like in the last film, or this way, which at least is a bit more visually interesting. As you say, I didn't really keep up with the plot, and I've got to confess that that was the case for a lot of this film. There is a lot of characters in this film, a lot of people coming and going very quickly, I mean, we are we do eventually see sort of like the whole smuggling ring and everyone involved in it. So I think this film, probably more than any of the previous Bond films so far, is the one where I just say like completely, just don't don't sweat it, right? Just just go with it. There's strange things happening. Who's that guy? Always oh, dead. Never mind. It's fine. Just just worry that there's like someone who wants diamonds and we got to stop them. Like that's speaking it. of uh, don't sweat it, and I think I just got to the root of why I don't like this film. There was no sweaty Sean for the whole film. Wrong, wrong. What do you mean wrong? Where, where was I, the Where was I it? I even wrote it down, especially for you, Tom. Ah, oh, I don't have that in my notes. Okay, I'm, right, I must well, have missed I, it. I will reveal all when we get to it. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so in South Africa, as you say, it sort of cuts away from them in in London, and now actually kind of changes scene um, fully with with dialogue and everything. So we get the appearance of. Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, the henchmen boo. of the film. Don't boo them. Boo. Do not boo Get them. Get them off. I love these two characters. They're two oh, very. On. They're two very weird characters. One is like a kind of balding, long-haired, mustache man. I think he's actually he was in real life. He was a, a jazz player or something weird. Um, and the other one is just the other one was um, the guy from Back to the Future's dad. Who's the creepy guy? Crispin Glover. It's his dad. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, t- two two weird henchmen who really are just on another level of like camp and and cheese and and hamming it up for this film. Like there is there's there's Blofeld level, well there's Bond, then there's Blofeld, and then there's these two. 
Like they're they're up there. Uh, but it shows them meeting with the dentist who we just saw in that scene, pulling out all the diamonds from the uh, people's mouths. Basically, as a bit of a handover, so they they're um, they're bluffing, uh, kind of intercepting this this changeover of diamonds. So they <laughs> they get hold of him, uh, or sorry, they get hold of the diamonds, and then so the thing with these characters is they one of their running gags, if you want to call them a gag, is that they they like to I don't <laughs> they, they they like to uh, get rid of the their the enemies their victims in in interesting ways. You're never just going to get them shot or anything like that no no or like a judo chop to the back of the head no 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 more interesting than that so once they've got the diamonds from this dentist they they kill him and they do that for everyone later on in the film as well so the first one we get is death by scorpion one of them distracts them saying oh i've got toothache and uh i've got to try and get it right now who's who i think mr kid is the mustache one and yes because yeah because i remember mr wint i think talks more than Mr. Kid, and I remember mm. hearing Mr. Kid a lot more. Right, yeah. Mr. Kid uh, distracts the dentist. Uh, meanwhile, Mr. Wint flops a, a scorpion down his back and then instantly dies. <laughs> that sc- scorpion did not waste any time. And then, yeah, they, they take the diamonds. And then someone else arrives in a helicopter. You can hear the cogs turning in my head as I'm trying to remember. Uh, someone else arrives in a in a helicopter and they supposedly hand over the diamonds to this other contact. Again, faking, pretending to be just like covering for someone, um, covering for the dentist, I suppose. And then the helicopter flies off and explodes straight away. So again, blowing up helicopters, scorpions, and they walk away hand in hand into the sunset. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> Which which is a point that I suppose we should address. I know it comes up quite a lot, is about the the homosexual nature of these characters. Are these the first gay characters in a like in a Bond film that are quite like clearly meant to be? And there there are definitely clues and signs of that later on. Um I don't I mean it's not really I don't think it really matters. It's just it's just a very interesting choice to to do that. And one thing I found quite interesting about these two characters is when I was looking them up online, <laughs> because I do that on Deviant Aunt yeah. <laughs> on Rule Thirty Four. <laughs> um, cut no, that. I, we'll cut that. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Uh, when I was looking them up it, on the Wikipedia, it says like all the times they've been referenced in in other like cartoons, and there's even a reference in Fallout Three, I think it said. Oh so, wow! Yeah, like it's weird that these two characters. In all of the Bond films, have some of the most. I think people like these characters, Tom. I'm, I hate. I know you don't want to hear this, but they are referenced a lot. I think they're very memorable, and ultimately interesting and good characters. I'm sorry. Well, well let's not throw words around willy nilly. Hey, hey, there. hey. Uh, so, I guess I'll start off by saying, like, because I, I was thinking about this last night uh, while punching the wall, uh, because <laughs> basically what this film establishes is that. I said before how this takes a lot from Goldfinger, but Goldfinger is the outlier. But it takes a lot of stuff from Goldfinger, and I don't think it takes a lot of the elements that worked in that film. Or it, like it took the wrong lessons. It was like Goldfinger was a big hit, and it took the wrong lessons from that and put them into this film. And I felt like what these two are supposed to be and other characters in the film 
is a new odd job. And if you look at the films before this one, there's been no odd henchman apart from Oddjob. He's been the only one in the entire franchise. And obviously he was very popular and did very well. And I think you said before toys and, and oh, stuff, Oh yeah, right? toys and everything, yeah. Yeah, so it then became an obsession that then, you know, recurs throughout the Roger Moore era in this film of we gotta have some odd henchmen. Like we want to recreate Goldfinger and a big part of Goldfinger was Oddjob. So let's get some weird henchmen in there and, and make them just kind of very distinct and stand out. So they just kind of throw all these gimmicks together and that's what we kind of get. So to me, the the homosexuality is is... I think it's supposed to be real, but I think it's more about let's just to make them distinct and odd. Like, look at these two gay characters. Like, I don't think it's homophobic. It probably is, but I don't think it was meant to be that way. It was meant to be like, look how odd these guys are. And we get that from visually how they look. Uh, They don't look very menacing at all. They just look like creeps. And then they make them (laughs) act very creepy. And they say each other's names all the time mr kid and mr wet wit although i guess it's worth saying that these characters are from the book apparently like there is a mr wit and mr kid from the book who's lifted on there i don't know how much of the characters from the book was preserved for the film and how much was exaggerated but i would guess quite a lot was exaggerated for these characters and i'm just not not into it like i feel like i am more open to campy bond than i might give off I just think this is a really, 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 really bad first attempt. I just, <laughs> I'm just looking at my recording. I just sound the sound wave of that. <laughs> I probably won't do that again. Um, but yeah, I just think it's an awful, awful first attempt. And it's, I think the main problem I have with these two, apart from the fact they're terrible, is I don't know what I'm supposed to feel or what sort of vibe they're supposed to go like give off. Like with other characters, I get it. Even with Odd Job, you get it. He's this very mysterious, intimidating, but kind of strange and off putting kind of guy. I got what they were going for. And other characters in the series are clearly supposed to be like comic relief. These are supposed to be characters that are supposed to be funny. It doesn't always work, but I at least know where I stand with those characters. I don't know if Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid are supposed to be funny, if they're supposed to be cool, if they're supposed to be intimidating, or what. I just get none of it, and it just feels like such a confused mess that it just makes me mad and i just don't want to see them on screen and (laughs) the way they're used in this film as well is so inconsistent where the first half of the film or the first third they're everywhere they're absolutely everywhere and then they completely disappear and then they just come back at the end (laughs) and that's it and it's just like why like why is it done like that even odd job in the other film was distributed a little bit better although he wasn't in the film like odd job wasn't in uh, Goldfinger as much as these two are in this film. No. So if you don't like these characters like me, the first third of this film sucks because <laughs> so much of this film is about these two very off-putting weird characters and I just was like I hate like any time these two are on screen I hate it. I just I just hate them and I don't want to see them. Okay, right. Well, I won't talk about Winton Kid for the whole time because I've realised we've got the rest of the film to talk about but I do just let me get this out of the way because I feel like I need to air my thoughts before we move on because this will be the yeah. last time I can do this <laughs> so I what you were just saying then about like you don't know what you should feel from them I think that works in their favour though I think that sort of uneasiness that they're they're yeah kind of lame and a bit 
dweebish. And then also they're a little bit, they are sometimes a bit kind of weirdly sinister. And then they're just odd. I kind of like that you don't know where you stand with them. And um, yeah, I mean, they're they're not like odd job in the sense that they have an obvious, or Jaws, where they, uh, they have an obvious like deformity or something or like a weird gadget. But I think their their thing is that they're just they're just weird. They are just creepy. That is their thing. So maybe maybe that just maybe that attracts me. Maybe I'm just attracted to creeps. But um, uh, yeah, and and one other thing as well is you mentioned about like because they're implied to be gay. What does that mean for the characters? And I was reading about because as I said, like I read about them quite a lot every night before bed. Yeah, yeah. and um i was reading some (laughs) yeah i was reading about some people saying that they found these characters to be homophobic and i didn't get that at all because i don't think there was really any gags that was at the expense of them being gay um it it was just like they just so happened to be but they were weird anyway like even if they had not been shown holding hands and um when uh, mr kid says like oh she's attractive for a woman like if that was not in the film, they would still be very weird and kind of basically the same. So I, I definitely don't get that aspect from it at all. I mean, there's many things wrong with this film and there's quite racist things later on. But I don't think homophobic is one of them, thankfully. But yeah, I just think I just think they're very interesting characters because of their weirdness. But, and also one more thing, they have a great theme. Their little theme that plays... Oh, I hate that theme so much. Oh, man. Terrible 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 what is this Pete and the wolf why are we hearing this like like very specific non-bond like it doesn't sound like anything we've heard from a bond film before and it just perks up every time they're around i'm just like oh god this is i mean again it's like if you don't like these characters it's like thunderball in the water right Mm. if you like the water then you're fine if you don't like the water Oh boy, are you in for a trip? It's the same thing with this. They make their presence so felt with the music, with the way they talk, with the way they act, with all the scenes that you can't avoid it. You can't just say, oh, whatever, you know, I'm not really into this, but fine, you know, it's just one part of the film. No, 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 you got to look at it dead in the eye to Mr. Witt and Mr. Kit and just sit there and sink with these (laughs) awful characters. (laughs) I would have loved a spin-off. I would have loved a spin-off of just these two. Just what, doing what? what? <laughs> just what? You know what? What do they do? Where? What's their history? Who? What do they do after this film? Oh, I guess they died. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, and something I don't get is because it's implied that these are Blofeld's henchmen, but for some reason they're never connected to Blofeld directly. So these feel like their own entity, including this yeah. scene. Like these are not henchmen in the same way an Oddjaw is a henchman. They are their own entity, seemingly doing their own thing. But I think they are meant to be Blofeld's henchmen, but it's just not ever connected, which yeah. makes them feel like a complete, like, again, like separated from the rest of the film. They're just these weird characters doing their weird things. And you could remove them from the film and it would kind of be fine. Um, you take that back. like yes they put bond in some bad situations but like again like they're not really a big part of the plot they're just roadblocks like they just kind of mess with bond a bit and then it's just all right and then it's like all right back to the plot it's like they're just like you could edit all their scenes out and it would still completely make sense you would lose very little from that happening I, i have edited all their scenes out just so i can watch them all together 
Oh yeah, you put it, them all together. Yeah, yeah. It, and I can just watch it on repeat. Diamonds are forever. Dot dot dot. But it's only Mister Mister Wit. Right, that's another edit we need to do. Okay. Two million views. <laughs> trending. It's coming. It's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. So we'll try not to go. We we talked about them a lot there. I guess we'll yeah. try not to go into them too much later on. But they they are a big part of this film, and yes. they're so let's say iconic. For they their are own iconic reasons. for good or bad. They're iconic. Yeah. For good or bad, you watch this film and you don't forget them. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Uh, so, so yeah, so after that, they walk off into the sunset holding hands. I think they're skipping, I want to say as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we cut to this old white woman in... Well, I think this is all taking place in South Africa or somewhere in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, so then Mr. Witt and Mr. Kit go and meet this old woman who, who's teaching these kids. And she seems very pleasant and... I didn't quite get what their relationship was here. Again, I think it's just them infiltrating the diamond smuggling ring, and she's just one part of that. Um, yeah. But for some reason, she like knows who they are and is friendly with them, so that's what kind of made me a little bit confused. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that. I like the fact that this little old lady who's like teaching Bible <laughs> to students is actually part of a <laughs> diamond smuggling ring. Just like the absurdity of this film is just great. But yeah, I don't know why she knew them. It's- kind of went with it and uh yeah so also in between this we go back to the diamond guy i don't really think he says anything much but uh once mr weir mr kit walk off i think we go back to the diamond guy talking but then we very quickly cut back um to the old uh white woman um and mr weir mr kit where she says i think she says go to amsterdam i don't think it's the other way around and then gives her the diamonds and then that's kind of the end of that scene and then we go back to bond and m in the office and m says i think bond wants to go to africa and yeah. m's like no you're going to amsterdam and that's when we get m just rolling eyes at bond because bond doesn't want to go to amsterdam but <laughs> m's like well that's where you're going so stop arguing yeah i don't really know how so they go to amsterdam because there's a, a known uh, smuggler called Peter Franks. Uh, yeah, they say it enough in the film. Yeah, Peter Franks. I don't know how they knew to go to Amsterdam, though. I didn't quite make that connection. Yeah, I just assumed it was like the diamond guy who came to speak to them knows enough about the smuggling ring to give them enough info to say, hey, this is a known person, so you can just go and take his identity because he's going to be in Amsterdam. Yeah. But then Bond goes to Amsterdam. <laughs> like wasting no time uh he's uh there at i think i think it's dover port of dover um at the uh like immigration because he's off to go get like a hover craft over to amsterdam which is really cool um and this is part of the film where so this is where i say bond is there it's actually peter franks at first who then gets called over says someone needs to talk to him in in the room off to the side and that's where they do the switcheroo and um, Bond then takes his place in his car. And then we get a little scene with Moneypenny. So I almost thought Moneypenny wasn't going to be in this. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, she's in this very, very quick scene with Bond here as he's about to go to Amsterdam. Just your typical stuff. She's all dressed up as a like an immigration guard and, and gives him his fake passport as, as Peter Franks. And a little bit of back and forth as per usual. Um, I did think coming off of the intro... And coming off of the previous film, where Bond is now a widow, it's a bit insensitive of Money Penny to ask for a, a diamond ring 
from Bond. I mean, come on, Money Penny. There's a time and a place. Let the man grieve. Well, well, this ties into what you said earlier. How like the film just then completely drops that entirely. Yeah. And I think this is the first sign of that because yeah. at the start, M talking to Bond is like, "Blofeld is dead, Bond. So now I want you on a on proper work. You can stop this craziness." And after that point is when it gets completely dropped. And this is basically confirming that mm-hmm. that Bond is not grieving. Bond is not fussed about any of this. Money Penny, who was at the wedding. She was there and knows <laughs> yeah. how it played out is then just like, how about a diamond ring? And yeah, this this is basically them confirming like, yeah, you don't have to care anymore because we don't about that plot line. This is now just a more traditional Bond film. Yeah, it's nice of them to make it so clear like that. <laughs> You're really, really in your face. Wife? Nah, no, never heard of her. Who? Tracy who? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I also like the little twist here. Like we saw in You Only Live Twice, where they did the twist on the M and the Money Penny thing. But I think this one works quite well, where you get a more traditional scene with Bond and M and Bond doing his cheeky chappy thing or whatever, and M not having it. But then you get to see Money Penny later. It's a uh, it's not a massive change, but just seeing Money Penny out of that office and speaking to Bond that way, yeah, it's it's a smaller change, but I think it's really nice. A good way of mixing up the formula. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the Bond theme starts playing at this point. Oh, really? And basically, yeah, I think they have now taken uh, Peter Franks. They've taken him out and Bond has just stolen his identity entirely and gone through passport control and stuff and arrives in Amsterdam. And it bears repeating. I said this last time, but I think it bears repeating that Honor Majesty's Secret Service opened the door in terms of just cutting to all these different locations and once that film opened the door, Diamonds Are Forever ran through it, <laughs> sprinting. <laughs> so yes, there is uh, Las Vegas, which is the main location of the film, and a lot of time is spent there. But if you just, I can't even count all the locations we've already been to, and we're barely, we're not even that far into the film. Um, so yeah, this is very much confirmed. And again, sets the tone for the Roger Moore films. There's a lot of stuff in here that is continued with those films. And that is another one of them where it's just so many different locations and they're not always set up in the same way the older ones did. And that's just the era of Bond we're in. Like, it's just a change. And I'm not a massive fan of it, but I don't hate it. You know, is what it is. It can work for the story. And sometimes I do like it. But yeah, we're just fully in that era of Bond jumps to a place with a jump cut rather than actually like traveling there. Yeah, especially at the beginning of the film. As we said in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it eventually does settle down into the Alps and you stay there for a while and then you get more of that actual location. And the same thing here, you know, it does settle into Las Vegas and you, you get you get to feel Las Vegas eventually. But at this beginning part, if you include all the very, very short parts of the pre-title sequence, then yeah, we've been to Japan, we've been to Egypt, we've been to Amsterdam, South Africa, uh, sorry, South, yeah, South Africa, and everywhere. So, no, um, no rest for the wicked. No, sadly not. Uh, but yeah, Amsterdam, and we do get some nice shots of Amsterdam on the canals. Uh, but the very first shot we get is following this tour guide and they're like, look at this bridge. Isn't that the coolest bridge you've ever seen? Then they're like, oh, look, there's a boat to our left. And then the camera pans over to that boat and we see these two, I think, policemen uh, pulling out this corpse from the canal. And then we see it's the old woman from before who was oh, teaching no. the kids, oh. like straight away dead. 
and then we see Mr. Kit Kid and Mr. Wit taking pictures, being being their creepy self, saying like, "Oh, she did want us to take pictures for the children." <laughs> it's like, yeah, very good. I love their lines in this film. I think they were all bangers. <laughs> not not a bad line in there. Not a single bad line. Uh, and then this after them. So basically they've killed her. Don't know why. Whatever. Uh, we then see Bond driving a mustard yellow car through Amsterdam. And something I do want to say here that, yes, there is a car because there's a, you know, in the film and there is a very iconic shot, you know, involving the red car. But generally speaking, even though this is meant to be Goldfinger and that template, Bond just drives kind of rubbish cars throughout it. Like nothing of any real note. I mean, you know, again, I'm not a big car guy. Someone who is more into cars might say, oh, but he drives this classic in this scene. And, and you know, I if that's the case, fair enough. Hold my hands up. I didn't notice it. But yeah, like I feel like Goldfinger, one of the core components was that Aston Martin and how great it looked. But for some reason, that's an element that didn't translate to this film. We just get that red car, and that's kind of about it. It wasn't translated. It was improved. It was improved. Who needs an Aston Martin DB5 when you have a moon buggy? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the moon buggy. How could you? I forgot about all the toys and the merchandise and that came with the moon buggy. And its little flailing arms. Anyway, that's that's we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I, don't, I, I think car-wise, I mean, for me, who's not not a petrol head i don't really care about cars didn't really bother me um but there isn't definitely no sort of gadgety sort of cars that we've seen before with with rockets and sat navs and everything so definitely back to some more basics with this yeah and, and it basically goes to my point that i've said before and i'll probably say again this film takes a lot of stuff from goldfinger but it takes some stuff that you think like really you took that and went with that but it just misses out on some stuff and again i would say the aston martin a huge part of that film and it's such a huge part of the franchise it's weird that it's not here right if you were copying that template why didn't you copy that car yeah i mean it's a good point so bond arrives at a random house in amsterdam as peter frank still and um goes up to this uh very fancy looking um lift and into the room and it's well it's tiffany trying to remember her name then (laughs) tiffany case (laughs) who he's meeting who is his contact in amsterdam part of the smuggling chain that peter's obviously meant to have met and it's a very kind of a bit of a strange introduction to tiffany case who is the bond girl of this film because you know he you get a very brief flash of her and then she just walks off into the, the bedroom and and eventually comes out in different wigs and everything, which I guess is meant to imply how, you know, what she does as as her business is of needs disguises and things like that. Um but yeah, so Bond's just kind of milling around while she's in in the bedroom and having a look around and has a, uh, she offers him a drink, so he makes a drink and then I think she comes out in a different hair color and takes his drink and goes to put some ice in it. And in in her bedroom, she has this quite advanced uh, thumb, like fingerprint scanning photo recognition machinery, I guess. Uh, so she takes a, a fingerprint of Bond's glass because she wants to double check who really is Peter Franks. And you think, oh no, Bond's going to get caught out immediately in this film but no 
She does the the scan. It's all good. It's a match on her wardrobe computer. <laughs> and because who doesn't have a computer installed in their wardrobe? Um, it's a match. So she trusts him and sort of lets her guard down a bit and actually starts to talk to him about the business, about the the diamond smuggling operation. Um, now, again, this is where you're going to have to forgive me because a lot of the plot, and especially this part where it's going from person to person to person, kind of went by me. I think basically they just talk about taking it to the next place. The oh, diamonds. Yeah, I didn't pick up anything more than that. It was basically saying it needs to go to... I put down LA, but Las Vegas yeah. isn't in LA. So I guess, I don't know why I put LA, but they're just saying they need to go to America and that's it. And then something about a load of money, but... Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just, just, just to say that, yeah, go to LA. Um, and I suppose it is that... It's not a very cool gadget, but, you know, it is... <laughs> the Bond has these fake fingerprints over over his real ones it's like okay yeah and he, i think he says like oh you know well done q so definitely i don't think there's anything crazy gadget wise in this film kind of does keep it a bit simple with with most of them i think of other ones in the film there's not not terribly many there's definitely other gadgets um but it's not the the formula that we had before just doesn't play out in this film at all um, like it's more gadgets kind of appear and show up as needed and then they just kind of insert Q saying oh yeah you're welcome don't worry about it so um, they cut to basically Bond calling Q removing the fake fingerprint and Q's like yeah I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy you're welcome that was um, nice wasn't it because you could see Q was really pleased with that like give Q some compliments every now and then Bond yeah treat your Q right yeah it's important so something I will say about this as you said Tracy uh not crazy. Tiffany Case. Why did they have to pick someone with a T, like a tough at the start? <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> Tiffany, like that's just cruel. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, this is the introduction to her and her character here is very different to the character we get for the rest of the film, which I find quite interesting because later in the film we find that she's she's more like an opportunistic klutz. But this one, I in this scene anyway, I don't think she's kind of portrayed that way. It's more like, look at this sexy woman in the sexy underwear and she's portrayed as being a little bit more confident and with it and things like that. And I guess that's a smart way of doing it. If you had to be a klutz and just be really stupid to begin with, you probably wouldn't give her half a chance. And instead they want to focus on Bond with a sexy woman. Aha, yeah, there we go. We all know this one. Uh, but yeah, like how she is here is very different to how she is in the rest of the film. And yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. She she actually seems quite competent in this first scene. You know, d- doing due diligence and checking to see if there's. I mean, surely a photo of Peter Franks would have been easier, ultimately. But yeah, like doing the whole fingerprint checking, and then you just cut to like her shooting at the end of the film and falling off the <laughs> off the oil rig. It's like yeah. hard hard cut to that. Um, yeah, you're right. Actually, she she does. I mean, I'm just going to say it now because we're talking about it. Tiffany Case. I don't think she's a very good Bond girl. Um, not very memorable at all. And I would almost say kind of annoying. But No, what annoying? <laughs> There's no annoying characters in this film, Joe. You must be. You must have had a dodgy version. But I can I can forgive it for the other. The, the film makes up for it in other ways. So. <laughs> in two ways in particular. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, they need to go to LA. So they grab the diamonds, which are in the lighting chandelier thing, and they 
get on a flight? No. No, they don't. At all? No. No, they don't. I just went. I just jumped straight ahead in my notes. Completely missed the whole. missed the whole flight. Yeah. You're not listening to your cue. You don't treat your cue right. I don't. Oh, I don't. I don't read my notes either. So yes, uh, before we get on Joe's plane, uh, which I'm happy to join you on, we can we can go. No, no, it's a good scene that I skipped over. Yeah, so basically on the phone when uh, to Q, when Bond is talking to him, Q says that the real Peter Frank has escaped. So he took out one of the guards and has escaped, and Bond kind of ends up running off. And we then cut to night, where we see the real Peter Franks is showing up to the same apartment building. And we get a very odd little moment here where Bond is staking out the place, and as Peter Frank shows up, he pretends to be making out with someone which is then just revealed to be him putting his hands on his side and moving them up and down. Genius. And it's like, I guess that would work, but sure. <laughs> it just seemed weird to see Sean Connery doing that. Like, it's simple and practical, which I normally like, but I don't want to see old man Sean caressing himself. <laughs> is, this gonna, is it old man Sean for the rest of this podcast? It might end up, yeah. Old Man Sean. When he does something like that, it's Old Man Sean. Okay, all right. Just wanted to clear that up. And uh, yeah, so then he basically goes in with Peter. It's because you've got to be buzzed into the building. So I think Peter gets buzzed in, Bond follows, and Bond pretends to be Dutch and puts on this fake accent, which I really liked. I thought that was a really nice touch. Uh, I said how I liked George Lazenby actually putting on a voice, even though he was dubbed. But it was nice to see James Bond or Sean Connery as James Bond actually put on a voice like we always hear about oh i know all these different languages put your book away money penny no need no 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 <laughs> uh, so even though he wasn't speaking dutch he was just doing a quite clearly fake accent it's kind of nice nice to see the effort there yeah and i will say that uh sean connery as a whole in this film compared to his last appearance and you only live twice he just seemed a lot uh, happier i don't know if that's the right way he just seemed a lot more into it and that's probably because he was given a like a wheelbarrow full of money for this uh this reappearance as bond um but yeah I, to me like when i think back to your live twice where he he just it was just he was going through the motions you just I, for me you could just tell that he wasn't in it anymore he was sick of the role and he probably is still sick of it in this film but when you're paying him i think it's like 1.25 million like back mm. in the 70s He's gonna, you know, he's gonna put it on, and yeah, I, like with these little scenes where he's doing this silly accent and and uh, getting into the the lift, I could just see that he was kind of enjoying it, and and yeah, I like that. I think it, it it came through on the film. Yeah, completely. It completely comes across that he likes doing this, and it's like some of the older Bond films where Sean Connery was in, where he likes. I don't know. I guess when Bond kind of acts the fool a little bit, or he's just clearly taking the mick, and this is one of them where I think Bond knows he's not fooling the guy. So you just see him just clearly enjoying this, like, ah, hello. <laughs> like, uh, and, and yeah, that that is quite fun to see. I did like it. So in the uh, in the lift, in the, in the apartments, they're going up. And eventually, I think it's just, yeah, fight breaks out. He tries to take out Peter in front of him. And it's quite, um, the whole fight basically takes place in this very confined lift as it's going up. And eventually down and back up and down where they keep hitting all the buttons fighting. Um, it's it's very simple fight. It's a very simple fight. I don't think there's any music really playing. So it's 
quite silent in times, apart from the smashing glass and a few grunts here and there. But I think it still kind of works. It it was kind of giving me from Rush of Love train fight vibes, not to the same quality, but along those lines of just very like very focused on two men like wrestling and actually trying to kill each other sort of thing because eventually uh peter grabs a bit of the broken glass from the windows and tries to stab onto that and they're bashing their arms on the on the sides and all that sort of stuff and as the elevator as the lift is going up um bond is at one point is about to be like decapitated as it's going uh under a bit of the wall and comes out just in time so yeah i, I wouldn't say it does anything mind-blowing but as, as fights go it's it's fairly strong and and you can see what's happening despite it being a very very small location and you can actually see sean doing a lot of it so that helps as well that it's actually you can see it's bond in these shots um fighting uh i thought it was fine i think the lack of music kind of went against it so music does kick in you know for for the end bit but yeah initially as the or the lift is going up and down there is no music and I I didn't really like that. Um, and I think it is probably because they are just kind of wrestling. And now the sound dubbing has been fixed from the previous film, where the last film had a lot of very bad dubbing on this. That's been fixed. There's like no issues with that side. But I don't think the sound in this is that strong enough to, to hold on its own. And it did make me think of that from Russia with Love Fight. And that is probably what they're trying to replicate. But that one had a little bit more space it also had a lot more interesting lighting because it was a little bit, it was quite dark and stuff, but you were still getting like light from outside. And also you had the sound of the train. So you didn't need music because you could hear this train going on. And, you know, this isn't the finale of the film, so it doesn't need to go all out. You know, this is a, a simple fight. This is Bond fights the bad guy in a small space sort of thing. Uh, but it definitely is weaker compared to that film and that setup and that you know that isn't fair it's not fair to compare to every single fight like this but yeah again it was just fine like it worked it served its purpose i don't think there was anything too memorable for me it was just them kind of wrestling in a lift but i don't think it really is that interesting and i think it could have done with music sooner to kind of set it and i do think maybe this was too small of a space to shoot it in because like you say, you can't see everything, but I just don't think they're able to do anything interesting apart from just grab each other. And then eventually Peter grabs the glass and Bond just knocks it off. And there you go. So it's, again, fine, not bad, but I, w- I wouldn't say all that great either. Yeah, I mean, the fight ends with with uh, Bond grabbing a fire extinguisher, like a foam fire extinguisher and spraying Peter with that and kind of, I guess, blinding him with it and then pushing him over the edge of the, the hallway down the, uh, the flight of stairs and then lobbing over the fire extinguisher. I do think, like, when I saw that, I was like, has this film got a thing about, like, mud and foam? <laughs> like, we're, we're, like, 20 minutes into the film and we've seen a lot of, like, gunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all the mud I stuff got, and all the foam. I, yeah, you're right. It's very gunky. Um, but I got the impression, and I might have been putting something together there, that he deliberately covered his face and to- tossed it off so Tiffany never saw him. Oh. Because at film. this point, Tiffany is watching the fight and yeah. he's like, oh, goodness. But of course, Bond is trying to pretend to be this guy. So obviously, Tiffany doesn't exactly know the face, but of course, that would be bad. So I think Bond deliberately was like, right, let's cover his face, get rid of this guy. It's me, Peter. No, not James Bond. 
that makes a lot of sense. And just another 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 bonus with this film. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> the I gift not even, that keeps on giving. <laughs> I didn't even put those two things together, but you're totally right. That makes sense. So after the fight, um, Bond then goes into the apartment with Tiffany where she's like, what's happened? Oh, oh my goodness. And before that happens, Bond does switch out the IDs. Uh, so basically gives Peter his ID as James Bond and keeps it. And then Tiffany takes a look and saying, oh, you just killed James Bond. And this is another time where Sean Connery gets to, it sounds like he's having fun mm. in the exact same way with a Dutch accent, where it's just like, did I? Is that who that was? No, surely not. And very <laughs> clearly fake, but oh, so much fun uh, for the very same reasons with the Dutch stuff. Like he's just, his fake acting is so fake. It comes back around to just be really enjoyable. I mean, there is a bigger question as to how she knows who James Bond is, but doesn't know what he looks like. Uh... We'll gloss over that. We'll gloss over that. Yeah, I mean, the it's... last film did it. You just gotta, you just gotta f- not think about it. Exactly. I mean, his face was definitely in newspapers when he died. So, like, <laughs> yeah, maybe... it was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Really should know. If, if anyway, 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 it's fine. So, once that's done, and and she thinks he's killed James Bond, then they get the diamonds, and then they get the flight. I'm so sorry, everyone. How could I miss out on that amazing fight scene? It's all right. Don't worry about it. Amazing. <laughs> it really was, yes. Um, so on the flight, it's a very quick scene, but on the flight, uh, you see Bond and Tiffany. And then in sort of like the section, it, it has this great dramatic zoom into an eye peeking from behind the curtain. Uh, and it's Mr. Kidd, who's in another section behind him, along with Mr. Wint. And so basically they're keeping track of the two should also mention that um the way they're smuggling the diamonds is in peter frank's body uh so they take the the coffin on board and pretend it's bond who's as peter pretending it's his brother um but yeah so winton kid are on their tail still and that's when you get the, the very strange line from kid saying like oh she's she's quite attractive for a lady and and uh, Wint sort of looks over as he's putting on his perfume, <laughs> looking looking unhappy at that fact. Again, weird, but I like it. Yeah, I I didn't laugh, and I guess you were meant to, but I don't know what you're meant to do with those sort of scenes. I really don't. Leave. <laughs> Turn <laughs> get it up off. And walk out. <laughs> Leave. Do something else with your day. Touch grass and just get out there in the world. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, oh, this is the part of the film that really I start to struggle with plot-wise when we actually get to LA and the and the crematorium. So, over to you, Tom. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'll I'll do my best. So, basically, Bond is still pretending to be Peter Franks and he's use, you know, he's still in that system of smuggling the diamonds, but when he goes to the US, then he goes through customs with the coffin, but in order to help him smuggle these diamonds, it's Felix. Felix, the, hey. the CIA agent? Yeah, it's back. Uh, he shows up. It's it's again a different actor. And it's, I mean, we've said it before, but they keep recasting this character and it just ruins it. So I don't really like this version of Felix, but at this point I'm just like, who cares? Like, yeah. 
I don't think anything they could do with this character would save it at this point because they've recast him again. So it's a different interpretation, but it's just like, yep, American guy that they're just saying is Felix. There's no connection between these characters. He's a little bit more, I guess, like New York-y. That's probably not the accent, but like, hey, Bond, how's it going here? But it's just like, <laughs> you just don't care. They've, they've, already, they've had their chance and they've just blown it at this point. And, you know, Felix does eventually, I do eventually like Felix, but it, it needs a proper reboot with a new Bond and new Felix to get me invested in this at all at this point. All of our New Lock list listeners gone now, Tom. I hope you're happy. Because of what? What did I say? What happened? <laughs> you just offended them. Ah, uh, whatever. Jabronis. <laughs> hey, I'm, well, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, I, I do. I agree with you totally. Like they, the, the, the character at this point in the series is beyond redemption. You know, it's going to take a long, long time. I mean, you could say License to Kill is, is fine with Felix, but I'd say it's really until you get to like the Craig era and they, yeah. they realize that, oh, actually, maybe we should keep Felix the same to actually have that bond between them. So, yeah, it's fine. It's not, not a great character in this film. It just sort of lingers around and does stuff in the background, but he's, it, it does the job. Yeah, and he's in this film a lot, so it's another one that we'll probably mention a lot, but I don't think we'll talk about him a lot because he's just he's just part of that America agent because this film takes a, a lot, uh, takes a, a place in America from most of it. Uh, so now we're here, I think we pretty much spend the entire film in America. I don't think we leave again. And uh, that's another yeah. way that it ties itself to Goldfinger as well, where Goldfinger was quite heavily based in America, so... This is kind of taking that from that film, which I don't think is a good choice, but I guess we'll get into it uh, later on. So, yeah, so basically Felix helps Bond get through customs uh, as he's pretending to be uh, Peter Franks. And then he meets up with, I put creepy blue brothers (laughs) because (laughs) it's these guys who just in suits and stuff. I think they're supposed to be part of the crematorium. So they're supposed to look like funeral people, right? funeral Mm. directors but they're just clearly like goons hired goons if you will um so they're wearing these hats but these hats as well make them look like uh the blues brothers and stuff and i think they have sunglasses so peter frank meets up with these guys gives them the coffin and these guys are in on the the smuggling scheme and the idea is that they're taking him to the crematorium so they can can get the diamonds i can't remember what this character says to him but they just have this very awkward moment where the guy just says something and it's just dumb oh yeah and then so- <laughs> james was like mm-hmm, yeah cool so it yeah i think they ask about who the body is and, and bond as peter says oh it's my brother and one of them goes hey i've got a brother too and then well, it's such a great delivery of just like bond going small world small world. <laughs> that's it <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, I have to say this this film, I don't like it, but these little these smaller moments that because we had comedy in the other Bond films, right? And it was never like laugh or go crazy about it, but really enjoyable little kind of scenes and comedic moments. And when it goes for that type of comedy, I still like it. And I feel like Bond in the other scene pretending to be like, oh, was that James Bond and doing the Dutch thing? And also this little line was more in line with that. And I actually did like these kind of little moments of Sean Connery as Bond playing off these characters. So it's weird. It's a little bit odd. comes out of nowhere. But when it is just these type of comedy scenes we've seen before, they did. They were enjoyable. Yeah. There's there's a few lines coming up that I just, I, I wrote them down because I, I loved them so much. Um, 
My question is, I've just thought of this now, and I shouldn't really say this because it's uncovering more plot holes in this film. Would you, who would have thought it? Uh, but, what? So, so they, 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 yeah, you're right. Like they go into this crematorium with the, the coffin because it's part of the smuggling chain. But how would they have done that if Bond hadn't have killed Peter and they have a body? Like, what would they have done? I like, don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Let's let's not Bond never. I'm assuming Bond never communicates with them. Or maybe Tiffany's supposed to be the contact, right? So I guess she might have phoned. A, a... I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I should listen to myself from like half an hour ago. Don't sweat it. Um, but speaking of sweating, we are getting closer to it uh, because yeah, oh. in in the crematorium, Bond as Peter is there, looking very solemn. Yeah, it's my brother, and there's the, the, the guy that's in charge of the. There's a guy with the thick black glasses, can't remember his name, but he's the one that's sort of telling Bond about um, all the stuff they have for for uh, the coffin and then um, the little, well, I don't even know what it is. Is that where you put the urn in the wall and all this sort of, going through as a mumbo jumbo, basically, about the process. Um, but then eventually they just, they get on with it, um, end up like cremating the coffin. So one thing to note as well is that at this point, they have switched the diamonds. So they're not real diamonds in the body. I don't think they say that, though, or, or do they? D- See, now there's a little bit between Felix and Bond. It might have been mentioned then. I That's can't the remember. only time I think it would be. But yeah, we find out later they're fake. But I want to say we don't know they're fake at this time because it's kind of part of the payoff to the next scene. Right. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. I couldn't really remember what Felix said to... The only thing I do remember is that one of the lines Bond says is like, well, I, I heard it as elementary, dear Watson, because he's yeah. trying to be like Sherlock, as as into, as into like, where are they hiding the diamonds in the body? But then I had to actually look this up because I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Elementary, dear Watson. And the actual line is... Alimentary, dear Watson. Oh, it's a pun. As in, it's in like the stomach. And <laughs> I was like, wow, oh. that's that's hard to catch on, especially with Sean's accent. So anyway, I'm going back. So yeah, they're in the crematorium, and they they do that. They do the business, get the urn back, and being that they are diamonds, they survive in the body, and they're in the urn, and that's how the smuggling continues. Um, so Bond then goes outside into the little garden area and is about to do the switchover. Again, like keeping on the premise of, of this this chain of smuggling. So puts the urn in this little kind of wall hatch thing, takes the money that's in there, because I think he was meant to be paid like $50,000 for doing this, and then immediately gets knocked out. So it doesn't take long for good old... I think it is... I, don't, I can't remember if it's with an implement or whether it is like a good traditional hand chop, like judo chop as we've seen um, in many other Bond films. I think... Oh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I mean, that would be more elements from Goldfinger if it was just a just a hand on the neck. Um, yeah, because, like, Bond walks through this area, but initially he walks past Mr. Kid and Mr. Wit, but doesn't really kind of recognise them. So we see that they're there. Then, yeah, as he puts it down, that's when they go and, and knock him out and, and take him away. Yes, Oh, yeah. How did I forget to mention them too? Goodness gracious me. They're there fiddling with some flowers, waiting for Bond. 
And this is where we get Sweaty Sean. Yeah, of course. Of course. I didn't knocked really out. click. I don't, I don't know why it didn't click, but of course we did. Yeah, like the sweatiest of Sean. This is the ideal situation for Sweaty Sean. Yeah. I reckon they wrote this scene first <laughs> and then had to put a whole film around it. I just put something together with diamonds, whatever, who cares? No one's going to watch it. They're only <laughs> here for this. a close-up of Sean. Sweaty. Now, what would do that? Well, coffins are small and, hey... They're getting cremated. Fire. They'll be hot. <laughs> Burn him. So yeah, Bond's put in in the in the cremator by Mister Winter, Mister Kid, and they probably say some some little line. They always have a line. Can't remember what it is now, sadly. But they always have a line when they're doing. I didn't write any stuff. of them down. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. Didn't write a single bit down. <sighs> you monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Bond, I think this actually is quite a good scene. But what it is, it's a very small part of the film, but Bond wakes up and he's in the coffin and it's slowly getting roasted. Um, I don't know if that's got a name, but is it just cremator? Cremating, right? Cremator, whatever that is, yeah. Um, So there's just like madness and there's smoke starting to come in and sweatiness, obviously, and music, tension, all this stuff, what's going to happen? And suddenly it just stops. (laughs) It's, It's a bit of a... Like it's, I wouldn't say it's a wasted scene because I think what you do get of Bond sort of scrambling in there, and it is one of those things that's like kind of people's one of like a traditional nightmare about thinking you've been buried alive sort of thing or waking up in a coffin. So I think it does sort of work on that level of it's not a very nice thing, but then yeah, it suddenly just cuts and and Bond is opened uh, in the coffin, and it's the the creepy Blues Brothers again, <laughs> whatever their names are. Yeah, going back to the coffin scene though, it, it's it's very well done and intense. Yeah, as you say, there's no real payoff to it, but yeah, it's Bond waking up in a coffin, and then you get to see a lot of shots of inside the coffin. But and I don't know how they got these shots back then, but then you get these camera shots of outside, and you get to see the fire really start quite small, and then just roar like massive flames surrounding this thing cutting back to bond inside like trying to figure out what's happening and trying to get out and seeing smoke coming through and you know it's a shame nothing plays you know comes of it really and but yeah i really like how intense this scene was Mm. it wasn't really how's bond gonna get out this one but it was just like wow that is really intense and i think the fire and how much they show the fire just completely wrapping this coffin really makes you really makes you feel it in the moment i would have liked to have seen how bond would escape that to be honest that now that would have been something now q q that we have equipped with the hose belt 007 <laughs> that you put out flames in a pinch now, listen here, Bond, we've got this new gadget. It's called a water pistol. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> it's the Super Splasher 2000, Double Super Soaker. <laughs> Super Soaker 2000. <laughs> It'll make your enemies damp. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But he gets out. He makes it in the end. And it's, it's, the, it's all the goons who are angry, thinking they've been stitched up because yes now it's revealed the diamonds uh, are fake they're fake diamonds they've been switched out at some point uh probably with felix and the cia and i think bond does say something about how the money that he was given would probably have been fake too because why would they have burned fifty thousand dollars so obviously they didn't actually do it so it's kind of like 
wires crossed because one thing is them and it obviously was Mr. Wind and Mr. Kid. So they're sort of playing each other against one another. Yeah, like they're just, he's faking it while also walking out the door. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's not standing there weighing around. He's just like wiping off the sweat off his hands. Like, once you get me the real money, I'll get you the real diamonds. They're like, we want those diamonds. And he's like, what? Bye. (laughs) Bye. Sean's gone now. Sorry. Uh, Yeah, he needs to get off to the casino. Yeah, he's off. So, uh, but yeah, I think, um, so yeah, that's why I think the diamonds aren't revealed to be fake because I think that's the payoff. Like he got out of this situation because he gave them fake diamonds. Like if yeah. he didn't do that, that wouldn't have happened. So I think that's why you only find out in this scene. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, this then cuts to Bond in a hot tub reading a magazine <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> I was like, Okay, I guess this is our first proper shot of uh, Sean Connery with his shirt off so we can see all the hair. Oh, the muscle. Yeah, well, yeah, (laughs) the old man muscle. Um, (laughs) So he's in the in this hot tub. Like, I I guess it makes sense with it being Bond, but I don't feel like we've really seen Bond like this. Like, it's one of those when you think about it, would Bond use a hot tub when he was in Vegas? Yes, he absolutely would. Uh, But we haven't really seen him kind of indulge in this way maybe the closest maybe like fundable or something but it it stood out to me because it was like wow bond just reading a magazine on the phone in a hot tub right wow okay i yeah i guess that makes sense but i never put that together yeah i mean i guess it's quite it's just indicative of the location right like you would never see bond do this in jamaica i suppose or or somewhere like that but he'd you know he'd be in some fancy hotel at the bar but here he's in vegas and Vegas just has that more sort of gaudy, I don't want to say trashy, but it has well, it's, kind of a bit can. more, okay, I'd just go for trashy. Um, although I would like to go to Vegas, but <laughs> I think it's, yeah, Bond is just fitting into where he is. And like, there's things later on you see, it just looks terrible. Like there's a, a fish tank bed that comes up at some point. And it's just like, ew, why, why is that a thing? But it's like, oh, right, this is Vegas in the 70s. So that's that. that's why. Yes, so this was basically our first taste of the Vegas lifestyle, which becomes a massive part of this film from here on out. And while Bond's on the phone asking for the diamond, the reason he's reading this magazine is for story reasons, basically, because there was an old man who was at the crematorium. He was all like, you need to give me the diamonds. And Bond's like, ah, no way, and walks off. But he sees in the magazine a picture of the very same person I can't remember what he has a nickname. Is it Stamp? his name is Shady Tree? Shady Tree, everybody. <laughs> and yeah, he sees that he's basically a, a stand-up comedian in Vegas and has a show. So it was like, right, I want to get to the bottom of this. So he's reading the magazine, sees the guy, and then we cut again to him going to that casino Vegas area. Um, I want to say there's like two or three different locations here and casinos. I want to yeah. say one's called like Circus Circus. Uh, yeah, one's just called the White House. Yes, but white spelled differently. Uh, they're probably yeah. I think there are others as well. Yeah, so I think this might be Circus Circus. He goes to, or is it the other one? I honestly don't know. They all blend together. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean got... they all look the same, really. Yeah. Apart from the circus one, does have a circus, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it just cuts to him says i'm gonna go see a show and it cuts to him going to track down this guy and this is where we get him in the white tuxedo and i guess 
he looks good. <laughs> like, oh. I do like the white tuxedo, but this is like a different spin on it, right? It's it's white and he's got the... Does he have the red flower here? I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, because I think it's a part of it, right? But then instead of being all white, which probably would have been a bit too much, to be honest, I think it was a good choice here. And he's just wearing black trousers and yeah, it's an iconic look. I kind of wish they didn't use it in this film where Sean's a little bit older. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a nice suit. Yeah, not quite pulling it off in the same way as the pre-title sequence to Goldfinger, but it, it's it's fine. It looks all right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he comes into this casino. I just love how one of the sort of establishing shots is him walking past and noticing uh, a poster for, or like on an easel or something, uh, a poster for Shady Tree and his stand-up act. And I just had to laugh at the photo <laughs> they have <laughs> for Shady Tree. And it's this old man. You, you think... For for having a publicity shot, he'd have some nicer <laughs> nicer photos, but it's just this picture of him like looking really angry and like like sort of growling to the side. It just really made me laugh. Like that's the picture he would have used for his like big Vegas advertising. It's just a sad little angry old man. <laughs> on a Is he like cross-eyed in some of these pictures as well? His eyes yeah. look a bit off. Yeah, I think Shady Tree needs to get a better agent by the looks of it. Yeah, for a lot of reasons, as we're going <laughs> to find out. Uh, so his Shady Tree is on stage doing a stand-up with two women, very Vegas-looking women and all the gear and stuff and telling all his jokes. And we have Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid at the front watching it. I don't know if we see them laugh at all. I don't think so. Are they in? I, I Joe, what I missed that. I actually missed oh, that they yeah, were there. Oh, yeah, yeah, they were, they were at the... Yeah, they were watching him. Well, before. I say I missed it, so... People listening, you're going to have to realize at this point in the film, I was into this, right? I'm enjoying it by this point. And therefore, less time to write notes. <laughs> so <laughs> oh I'm going to be I'm going to be winging it now because I was I know that this is true. Like I was actually just enjoying watching the film. And then so I just went with it. And then that's where plot details start to weave in and out a little bit less. And <laughs> if you put this as your number one, we are. This is going <laughs> to. Well, well, we'll you've get there. never had done this before. You've never said, sorry, Tom, I don't have notes because I was too busy enjoying it. Nelfa from Russia with love, Thunderball, Doctor No, 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 no. It's got to be Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid. That's the one that <laughs> sends Joe into a trance of like, oh, I'm not doing a podcast anymore. I'm just watching this great film. Can't miss this. I can't miss notice. a single second. I can't. I have no time to pause. All right. No There's time to pause. No time to pause. I need to enjoy every second of this. So, yeah, I, I do apologize. I might get things wrong plot wise here. But that's just because I was there happy. Awful. So I'll, I'll carry on then. I Please do. Because I was, well, I guess I was paying attention. So are you, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, so Mr. Wait and Mr. Kid was watching them. And as we know, I do find this a little bit confusing because I thought the comedian guy was working for Blofeld. Uh, but I think this is supposed to be disconnected from that because basically Mr. Wit and Mr. Kit is just killing everyone who's involved in this chain. Um, so as a part of that... Oh, no, they, they he doesn't... No, okay, yeah, all right. I've just figured that out in my head. Uh, so yeah, so he goes to see the old man comedian backstage uh, and then we cut to Bond later going backstage and finding Shady Tree dead on the ground. Mm. And then I think at this point, we then see Mr. Witt and Mr. Kidd talking to the casino owner, who I did write down. Is that Bert? Yeah, Bert Saxby. Bert Saxby. Uh, so he does work for, well, 
he works for somebody. I want to say, oh, who wants to say? Um, so <laughs> then saying like, oh, we need to keep him alive. And they say, well, that's unfortunate. And it turns out like, yeah, they're, they're dead. Um, because basically Saxby has found out that the diamonds were fake. So they were like, well, if they're fake diamonds, we need to actually get the real diamonds. And it's kind of, I guess they don't know this is Bond or anything like that. They don't know Bond's kind of a part of this. They just think they're trying to, you know, infiltrate this diamond smuggling to steal the actual diamonds. So once they find out, oh, we need, these aren't real diamonds. That's when they need the one, uh, the actual diamonds, but the the damage has already been done. So I don't think Bond has any plans after this. He's just like, oh, that sucks. I guess I'll go play some, play some craps. I guess. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is probably like actual Sean Connery shining through now. Whereas, like, you know what? Let's just let's just let's just play some games for a while. It's just a bit gambling. Maybe some golf later on. Yeah, I'm to... in my suit. I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. Let's go and just a few rounds. Relax. I mean, what you're saying there that is that's part of the reason why I just sort of went with this because there is a, a a lot of sort of back and forth with this diamond stuff and yeah, like. Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kidd are killing every step of this diamond smuggling chain, but they they work for Blofeld, so are they just trying to, like, shut it down now? Because they have the amount of diamonds they need? So they're just getting, trying to get rid of this chain as evidence? Maybe, but I take it more as Mr. Wynn and Mr. Kidd, the grey characters that they are, are just all about killing people, and their assignment is, we just need to get these diamonds, so they're going to get those diamonds... But because they like killing people, they just kill everyone along the way. But obviously, Baxby and Blofeld won't care as long as they get their diamonds. Right. Okay. But then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose, like, they killed the dentist who would have been getting them. Do you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Well, they obviously, (laughs) for the plan to work, they do have enough diamonds. Yeah. Like, we find out later they did have enough once they get the real diamonds. So maybe they knew that. Maybe they just didn't care. It's not clear. It's we not shouldn't important. care either. Exactly. Exactly. But I will say while we're on this topic, and it's something that I didn't like about this film, Shark Horror, uh, that is unrelated to the other films and stuff, I find this diamond smuggly stuff really boring. Like, I don't think I engaged with any of this stuff or found it interesting. I didn't find this whole, you know, the explanation at the start, that was kind of neat, I suppose. But everything else, and the fact that we spend so much time on this film talking about these diamonds and it's such a big deal that the story for this film to me i just think it's kind of terrible and it only picks up again when when blofeld is revealed that's when i get back into it story wise and i like that stuff with blofeld but he disappears for most of this film and we're just following mr Weir, mr kid and the diamond smuggling things like that i think this premise is just boring I don't think it's interesting. I don't think it's interesting everyone just dying in this smuggling ring. I don't think there's enough mystery there to keep me invested. It's just Bond getting involved with diamond smuggling. And I just, it bored me to tears. It to really, tears. really bored me. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, the premise isn't a good one. I will agree with you on that. It's, it's, it's just one, you know, diamonds are going from one person to another, to another, to another. I, I would say that the film kind of keeps it interesting despite that in kind of well mr Wynn and mr kid being one example uh but with the whole like the the crematorium thing and you know, just little bits like that sprinkled in i think just about keep me going and and the bad cheesy lines and terrible jokes so. but i would agree that in, in terms of like overall plot of this film it is a bit crap 
Like it's just all it's all over the place, but but very um, at the same time empty. Like there's just nothing really to it. So yeah, it's just it's very weak, and it's it's strange because previous films I think have been quite interested in terms of Spectre plots and trying to like flesh those out. Maybe it's not super complicated, like in the on a secret Majesty Secret Service, you know, that is brainwashing a load of women called angels and sending them out there. But it still kind of sells it enough, and you got the Bond falling in love stuff to make it work. But I think this might be the first one where the story is just kind of naff. I mean, it's not what it's focused on, as you say. If you enjoy the campiness and the characters and things like that, there's enough to get you through this film. But for me, I didn't. Then I was yeah. like, okay, well, let's just take it as a Bond film and a Bond plot, and this as a Spectre storyline. It's just dreadful. It's just, it's just dreadful, and it's just not enough to keep me involved. But again, once Blofeld's reintroduced, he's a ton of fun and kind of picks things up. I do get into the story more, but for most of this film. I am just not into this story. And it's weird because this is the first time I really felt that in any of these Bond films. It's funny when you say about, you just mentioned the word Spectre, because it's like, yeah, I don't really even, this film doesn't even seem like Spectre to me, even though it's Blofeld, because there's no real other, you don't get any numbered people. And it's more just like, if the other films are Spectre, this is just Blofeld. (laughs) Even though he has this giant, you know, he's managed to, as we later see, like got all these operations going on. It doesn't feel as as big and dramatic as previous films where you know he's got a number one, number five, number two, all that sort of stuff all around the world. This just feels like Blofeld on his own to an extent, which is a bit strange. Yeah, there's no organisation, is there? There's no hints at all of a big organisation. It's just Blofeld taking over an organisation, which is a cool premise. Yeah. I just don't think they do much with it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, where were we? We were shady, shady tree. Has just been killed. Um, axed off. Axed yeah. off. Uh, by the way, I, because I love this one so much, I actually, for the first time during this podcast, I went and watched the deleted scenes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> is there more Mister Wit and Mister Kate footage? Yes, there is. Because you see, you see them kill. You see them kill Shady Tree in a deleted scene. All right. And I won't go into the specifics of it, but they kill him with one of those um, like bang guns with a flag. So. Just about on the level you'd expect. Did you uh, like my axe joke, by the way? Uh, wait, how did, it, how did they actually die? No, no, axed off. Axe. Where's axes in this film? No, because he's called Shady Tree. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bra- Pretty Bravo. good, right? That, see, I'm not... I'm not smart enough for that sort of level. I need, I need this film's level. <laughs> One need... comes in, tree go down. <laughs> oh, timber! I'm a simple man, Tom. Simple yeah. man, simple pleasures. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking Bond, of simple, yes, uh, we then get Bond just sort of going around the casino for a bit and uh yeah playing craps and that's where he meets i guess the secondary bond girl of this film she's not really in it very much and that's plenty o'toole who's uh <laughs> great well i was gonna say great name it's a terrible name terrible terrible name um but it's a pretty terrible character really ultimately so yeah she's just this girl that uh this woman that sort of watches bond spend loads of money at the table and 
immediately you know, I was attracted to that. So flirts with him and um, yeah, rolls dice for him and the craps and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they they bond a little bit, but there isn't really much between these two characters. She is in the film a little bit more, but really very very minimal. Um, it's just fine, I suppose, but she's I think. She's meant. Uh, the impression I get is that she's meant to be seen as like putting on this sort of act of being dumb and like warming to rich men and getting money off of them, because I think she there's like another man that she says that to when he's lost all his money. She's like basically palms him off. So I, I kind of like that idea of it, and I suppose it's kind of similar to Tiffany Case in that aspect. But then actually, she does just look dumb. Like I don't really get much of the kind of ploy behind her actions she just seems stupid so it kind of wasted i think there's two things for me to know about this character uh the first of all is that when quantum of solace did the whole strawberry fields i think she was called mm. bond trope as in like specifically calling back to it this is the one like a woman gets involved with bond she's incredibly stupid they sleep together and she dies that's like I feel like this is the perfect capitalization of that idea and seeing it play out like this is kind of crazy because again, they mock it in future ones, but you kind of think, oh, in Quantum of Solace, they're speeding this up and, you know, changing it to exaggerate it to make their point. No, no, no. Like the the comedy version and the exaggerated version in Quantum of Solace is the exact same as this one in this film. And it's kind of bizarre. Um, and second of all, I find it odd that Plenty is very similar to Tiffany, just isn't on a screen as much because as we find out, Tiffany is very opportunistic and is kind of dumb and plays up to whoever she needs to. And it's weird that we get a Bond girl, a secondary Bond girl, who's exactly the same. Yeah. It's just her arc and what happens to her is very short compared to Tiffany's. And it would have been better. I think Plenty might have gone over a little bit better if Tiffany wasn't literally the exact same. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah, no, as I say, I don't... There's like, I, It's one of those characters, it's like, well, is, is this character just in the film? She's not, but is this character just in the film for that joke about her name? <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Uh, a kind of, although she does come back um, later on. So anyway, and again, another deleted scene, actually. I'm not going to say every deleted scene in this film, but there is a deleted scene where they're having dinner together. Um, but uh, they eventually um, go back to the room, go back to is it, it's Bond's room. Yeah, Bond's room together, about to flirt and everything. But as they get in there, she starts to undress. Who's in the room? It's all of the crematorium goons and the main guy. I don't know if he's got a name, the main guy that leads them all. But um, they're there, obviously, to now get the real diamonds because they know that they're fake and that Shady Tree's dead, so they need to get the link back up. And they take Plenty of Tool, uh, who's now, like, in her knickers, basically, um, and just lob her out the window. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so quick. They just get rid of her immediately. I mean, there is a bit of a gag of like afterwards. The guy says, "I didn't know there was a pool there" because she she goes and falls down into a swimming pool outside. But um, yeah, she's gone now for a little while, and it's just them and 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 Bond. And then 
this this is more weirdness as well because they am I right in thinking they they go to attack Bond? No. Why do they? I leave? think Bond don't goes to. Like, I think Bond goes to attack them, and they all just sort of shuffle out. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a bit weird how they did that, but they do eventually leave, and Bond finds Tiffany in his room. And with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode seven of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Tom next time where Bond breaks into Willard White's office, finds out who's behind all this, and uncovers a plot to blackmail the global superpowers with a laser in space. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part two.